0: What makes a good insight great is is building a narrative around those chapters or those insights and kind of storytelling so that teams can understand them and, and use them and put them to practice.
1: Everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission, spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Brittany Mills, who is a senior research manager at Twitter, and also an adjunct associate professor at Columbia University in City of New York. And previously, she had worked with companies like Dropbox, Discovery, Ycom Insight Strategy Group, and PlayScience. In this episode, Brittany had shared great insights on how to sell insights, and we had discussed on what are the insights and what makes a good research insight great. We then discussed on various UX research, methods that researchers use to refine these insights and know which insights matter in a gigantic pool of data and how to make design impact measurable. We also spoke on how to sell these insights within your organization to create an impact. We then concluded the show by Brittany recommending us few portfolio tips and also what does she looks as an hiring manager into your UX researchers portfolio. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And on every Friday, we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in to Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, Brittany. Welcome to Node of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show.
0: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
1: So Brittany, how's your day going?
0: It is snowy here in Connecticut, but other than that, it's been great. How about you?
1: It's kind of summer started in India already. The temperature is like around 32 degrees already. So. It's quite similar to here. So jealous, very different from here. <laughs> Wonderful. So, Brittany, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there.
0: Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Brittany Mills. I lead the Revenue Diversity and Emerging Businesses Research Group at Twitter. I've been at Twitter for almost a year now. I started last March when coronavirus first started in the U.S., unfortunately, so I haven't gotten to meet anyone in person yet. Prior to Twitter, I led consumer insights teams at Dropbox, HGTV, and Food Network,
1: MTV, VH1, and then countless agencies in New York City. Thank you, Brittany. So, what was your journey into design, and how did you start? What are your tips to the beginners on how to start?
0: Uh, you know, I wish I could say that my my journey to research was was perfectly linear, but it's been very nonlinear. I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to become a tech researcher. But now that I know where I am, it's it's not that surprising. So in college, I was convinced I wanted to be a medical examiner, but when pre-med proved to be too much for me, I turned to psychology. While those things sound wildly different to most people, to me, it kind of makes perfect sense. I've always had this interest in the human condition, like our physiological, mental, social, experimental, you know, spiritual condition and kind of the why behind everything we do and feel. Psychology felt like a perfect fit there. Um, I spent a few years working as a licensed mental health counselor before graduating with my PhD in psychology. Being a clinician is extremely rewarding and very tough work. I knew I wanted to kind of understand human behavior, you know, and I talked a little bit about that condition that I wanted to look through and ultimately, you know, solve problems to help people. But therapy just wasn't it for many reasons. We could spend a whole session talking about that. (laughs) Um, But luck would have it, I had a professor that reached out to me and told me that Sesame Workshop, the company that produces Sesame Street, was looking for somebody to moderate sessions with children and their parents and test an iPad game. Sounded awesome. Uh, I had experience with kids, um, getting to help Sesame Street, you know, learn more about children while playing with toys, sounded great. Uh, I ran those sessions and I was hooked. I had no idea that market research or product research or design research were actual jobs at the time. Um, I remember going home and telling my friends how I got paid to ask kids about toys. Uh, it was an entirely, you know, new life path that opened up for me, and I've never really looked back. Over the years, I've done research on educational toys and games, consumer packaged goods, media, TV shows, politics, tech—you name it—I've researched it. Um, so my piece of advice would be, you know, no matter where you are right now and the job you hold at this moment research is probably a viable path for you. You probably have transferable skills that would make you a great researcher. Most
1: researchers do not come from like very traditional research backgrounds. Um, So don't be afraid to, to try. Thank you, Brittany. That was a wonderful insight, though. So let's begin our journey today into how to sell insights. So what exactly are insights and what make a good research insight great?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, to to understand insights, we really have to start with data. And and mining data for meaningful insights is a huge part of research. Data is really just, it's all of the, the different inputs that are kind of the building blocks to insights. So quantitative data, qualitative data, secondary, primary, all of these data points are like Almost words on a page in a book. Insights, on the other hand, are meaningful connections between those bits of data. They're kind of like the aha moments. Um, those statements that uncover the truth about a group of people, a product, a show. You know, insights are more like chapters in a book. Insights are only as good as as they have utility for the teams that you're, you know, providing them for or that you're working with. So, really. What makes a good insight great is, is building a narrative around those chapters or those insights and kind of storytelling so that teams can understand them and, and use them and put them to practice. So, you know, the people attached to and remember stories, stories that have you know good beginnings, exciting middles and sort of satisfying endings, your insights are the same.
1: Thank you, Brittany. So what are the various UX research methods you use to refine these insights and know which insight matters in such gigantic pool of data?
0: Yes, <laughs> I hate to say that it depends, but it really does depend um, method to method, project to project. I think the key to finding insights that matter is less about the data itself and and that kind of like mining the huge data pool. And it's more about your partners that you're working with. So if you're working on a team that has, you know, a product lead, a designer, an engineer, content strategist, marketing, et cetera, it's important that the research lead um, represent the voice of the customer at all touch points with that team. So this means, you know, successful researchers often co-create their research questions with their cross-functional partners before the research is even conducted. And you do that so that A, the team is aligned on what's most important. B, the expectations are set on the type of data or the type of insights that the team can expect. And C, the researcher is kind of aware of how those insights are intended to be used. You know, they can craft that story around how those insights are going to be used. So for example, you know, knowing that a small business owner has trouble navigating social media as an insight, right, is completely different, has completely different implications for a product team that's designing educational prompts, maybe to help them use social media, than it does for a marketing team that's trying to get small businesses to try video ads or something like that on social media. Like though that same insight can be used completely differently for different parts of the team. So it's important to align early and kind of co-create those questions with your team so that you know exactly how they intend to use them. Thank you, Brittany. So how do we
1: make design impact measurable?
0: That is a that is the hardest question to answer probably of this of our whole time today. Um, it is the it's the most important one, but the hardest Hardest one. Um, Ways that I've seen teams do this successfully, it's kind of like if you think about a quadrant. Um, On the left hand side, you have things that have direct impact and things that have indirect impact. And on the right hand side, you have things that make money and things that save money. So things that have direct impact and make money would be uh, outcomes like sales, conversion, growth, or, or new value that a product could bring. Things that have direct impact but save money are improvements to internal processes or like collaboration between teams, maybe new tools or new training. Things that have indirect impact from research that that make money might be improved customer retention, um, improved satisfaction scores or NPS, brand perception improvements, um, improvements in usability or engagement. And then that last box are things that have indirect impact but save money. And those are those sound like the least sexy, but sometimes they're the most important. Um, those are things like increased support and service, um, maintenance for a product. You know, not everything is new and shiny. Sometimes we need to keep things going um, and make sure that they continue to work. Or, or changes to resources and staffing. Sometimes, you know, indirect impact that saves money is adding new teammates um, to a product to make sure that that maintenance part um, goes smoothly. Those are all ways that a researcher can sort of measure
1: the impact that they're having on a product. Thank you so much, Brittany. So how do you sell insights within your organization?
0: You know, this, this selling process is the biggest part of my day job. Um, it's even bigger than the creation of the actual insights um, my team i'm sure my team would be would say the same because a lot of what i tell them every week is that you know we need to make sure that these insights stick so the biggest thing about selling insights internally is is that part of making them sticky for different audiences so it's not enough to just write a report and slide into colleagues you know inboxes hoping that somebody reads that report No. The thing with researchers also is that um, a lot of us are very comfortable with the research process itself, but the the selling part and kind of getting ourselves out there in front of others and and pushing out those insights is a little less, uh, less natural for us. So to make these insights sticky and kind of create that story that we were talking about earlier, you know, you need to make sure that you have that story locked down. That story could show up in the written materials that you have about a project. So like the actual report itself, any collateral, you know, written materials, and it should show up in the socializations that you choose to do. So, you know, presentations, installations, things like that. Um, Then comes what our head of research, Nakia, (laughs) loves to call surround sound insights. So this is something where um, teams need to focus on getting those insights and that story in front of as many people who need to see it in as many ways as you can. This can be especially tricky um, in big organizations and it's especially tricky to get people excited and engaged in the totally remote work environments that a lot of us find ourselves in. But it's especially important if you're trying to make sure that an insight lands beyond just your immediate product team. An example of something that my team did recently. So we've been working on understanding small businesses and their experience with social media for almost a year now. Um, The team pulled together all different reports that they've made throughout the year and we pulled it into an e-magazine format. That magazine had information about, you know, small business consumer insights, world events and sort of COVID effects on SMBs from this year. And then platform trends, trying to understand what other, you know, social media platforms are doing to combat some of the the issues that SMBs are facing. And then what all of this means for Twitter. So this is a year worth of research that we, that we wrapped up into this kind of like takeaway magazine. And we knew that that magazine was like a fun and um, sexier format than, than the, uh, presentations and decks that we often send around. Um, we emailed that out more broadly, you know, trying to reach as many people as possible. We slacked it to various internal channels. I like to call those slack bombs. We send them out as to as many people as possible. And we set up these one-hour brown bag presentations to walk the organization through each section of that magazine. So that sounds like a lot of work, but we really wanted it to stick. So we didn't want to just spend these like one hour presentations talking at people as part of these brown bag, you know, series. We wanted to make sure that we were getting people closer to these SMBs and like bringing our organization into their world and building empathy for them on the spot. So as part of these series, we invited a different small business owner to come in and guest star in our presentations um, and take some Q and A from our internal teams. So, It was a lot of work. It sounds like as much work (laughs) as as I described, Um, but we've gotten so much traction beyond just the directly impacted product teams that we work with every day um, who are working on SMB related products. And we've gotten all of that by surrounding people with these insights, those surround sound insights that Nakia likes to say. Um, I've gotten notes from new partners that I've never worked with before asking how our teams can work together, you know, requesting that we do this presentation for their team um, and even more comments about the magazine format itself and how it was kind of different enough to excite people. So all of that work um, was worth it, knowing that we touched so many people beyond just our you know, immediate organization. And there's so many people now at Twitter, so many more people than ever would have before who are thinking about SMBs and
1: are thinking about the issues that
0: they face and, and how we can make Twitter better for them.
1: Thank you so much, Brittany, for taking us through this wonderful journey. So the question that most of our listeners are waiting for. So as a hiring manager, what are the essential things you look at in UX researcher portfolio?
0: Yes. So in the, you know... Portfolio itself, it definitely depends on the level of researcher that I'm looking for. Of course, a staff level and an entry level are completely different in terms of kind of the competencies that I expect to see, but there are some common traits that I look for. The first is this breadth of experience. I'm looking for people who have, you know, worked with different methodological approaches, who have worked in various industries. Maybe you know started to incorporate things beyond research that may complement their role. So, for instance, they've been a consultant or a salesperson. You know how much I feel like selling is, is an important part of research. Now, I'm actually looking for people who have you know some comfort or some experience with that. Um, and this breadth of experience doesn't mean that you've had to have a million different roles. You can have all of that at the same job. Um, if you're a consultant. It's very easy for you to get all of these at the same job, right? Like you might work within different industries and, and try a bunch of different different methods while you're trying to help different companies solve problems. The second one is around impact. So, you know, can you identify in examples of real impact that you've had on the company or a product or your team. It never hurts to say, you know, project X resulted in Y millions of dollars in revenue or something to that effect. Um, similar to kind of like the direct impact and indirect impact, or the things that save money or make money that I talked about earlier. Pointing to any of those on your, on your portfolio would help um, help, me, help me make those connections between your work and the impact. Some people kind of shy away from putting those statements because they think, you know, it's attributing too much to themselves and not enough to the team. But trust me, hiring managers are very aware um, that your work is a contributing piece to that broader impact. Um, But don't short yourself that recognition. It's worth putting in. The third is around sort of this creative socialization. So, you know, I talked through like all the different ways that my team is trying to sell insights internally. You know, that's really important. Um, I'm looking to see or hear how you have found creative ways to bring insights to life, you know, beyond just putting some Google slides together. And then I'm also looking for interest in learning. So, you know, I don't have a linear research background. Not everyone does. And that's, okay. I look for ways that somebody has demonstrated passion for research, you know, even if it's not within their day job. So, you know, are you taking in LinkedIn courses? Have you gone to a design workshop or conferences? Do you have, you know, additional degrees or certifications that could help sort of focus you towards that research path? Are you trying to to learn on your own, that's, that's always a good sign to me that someone will be a good researcher. Um, And then once, once I've, you know, gotten them on site and I'm actually speaking to them, I am looking for somebody who's, egoless and self-aware. There is always something that we wish we had done different on a project, something that could have gone better, um, something that we would have changed. Do not be afraid to say what you would have done differently and why, because it shows me that you can make mistakes, that you understand kind of how to pivot and learn from them, because a perfect project doesn't exist. And if that's what you're describing
1: to me, that's, that's a red flag. Thank you, Brittany. So let's conclude this show by you recommending your three favorite books and also people who inspire you the most in the space.
0: Yes. So some great books um, are The Design of Business. So Why Design Thinking is kind of the next competitive advantage by Roger Martin. Um, Data Story, Explaining Data and Inspiring Action Through Story by Nancy Duarte. And for those of you who are kind of just getting started in design and research, there is an excellent Field Guide to Human-Centered Design put out by uh, Design Kit and IDEO that has a ton of ideas for, you know, different methods for how to approach um, research as it relates to design. And then three people that I look to in the space, um, the first would be our head of research at Twitter, Nakia. She is extremely inspiring on a day-to-day basis. Um, She has a passion and energy for research like no one I have ever seen. Um, And she keeps me like excited to come to work every day, which is hard for most people with their jobs. But Nakia has just like a real empathy for our customers and just a real passion for research and insights and making sure that our organization is a customer-centered organization. Um, And that's definitely something that I and my team model after. There's um, another woman who I worked with at MTV named Jane Gould, She now heads up research at Disney. Jane brought such a sense of calm to sometimes the chaotic and crazy worlds that we are researching. Um, And I always appreciated her level of empathy for the customers that we have um, and the the different people that we study. You know, sometimes if you're studying things like politics or some, some of the trickier subjects, it's hard to build up empathy for both sides. And Jane was always very easy, very comfortable doing that. Um, And that's definitely something that, you know, we could all learn from. And then um, one other person is a colleague of mine that I used to work with at agencies in New York City. Her name is Allie, Allie Alleman. Allie and I have worked together across a variety of different, you know, both at that agency, but also together since then. And, you know, something about her work is that she always focuses on not just the minds of consumers, but also the hearts. So she's thinking about, you know, not only what are they thinking and doing, but how are they feeling Um, and making sure that you bring that sort of holistic view of people to your work, not just, you know, what they say they want, but also the deeper the deeper insights there. She had a really good framework for trying to understand those deeper insights
1: um, that I, I now bring to some of my work at Twitter. Thank you so much, Brittany, for sharing all your great insights with us. And thanks for your time. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Of
0: course. Thank you so much for having me.